Hello and welcome back to Venture Studio. I'm your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week, we welcome Dustin Dolgan out to the studio. Dustin is a co-founder of Maiden Lane Ventures, the first institutional venture fund built for angel list syndicates. If you're a fan of the studio, please subscribe on iTunes so you never have to worry about missing an episode. You can connect with us on Twitter at Venture Studio, and you can listen to prior episodes on our website, VentureStudio.org, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and on TuneIn. Here's an excerpt from Maiden Lane's AngelList page. Raising seed capital is unnecessarily complicated. Great angel investors have always helped founders cut through the noise. Maiden Lane's mission is to make partnering with world-class angels more impactful. To do that, we use capital and software to rethink the workflow of seed investing. Seems pretty logical, right? Maybe even a bit boring? Well, not really. Syndicates and funds like Maiden Lane have been called progressive, disruptive, cute, and fraudulent, and everything in between. Today, we'll learn why. Dave and Dustin discuss the facts behind syndicates, the massive opportunity for individual investors and founders that syndicates presents, and the support, critiques, and criticisms from others in the venture capital industry that they've heard. They'll also talk more broadly about how thought leaders like Chris Saka, Brad Feld, Paul Graham, and Mark Suster have approached innovation and unbundling in venture capital. This episode is just the first installment of our series on Angelus Syndicates. Later this month, we'll catch up with Ming Ye, founder and managing partner of CSC Upshot Ventures, a $400 million venture fund formed to invest in startups on Angelist. Dave and Dustin talk a bit about CSC Upshot in this week's episode as well. You can find Dustin on Angelist, obviously, and on Twitter and Medium under at Dolganow. Without further ado, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Dave Lerner and Dustin Dolganow. In the office, baby. Going up. Dustin, thanks so much for making time. Maybe before we dive into all these uh, substantive issues about syndicates and everything else that you're involved in, maybe for the folks who are not terribly familiar with AngelList, give them a little background on what AngelList is. Absolutely. So AngelList was born out of Venture Hacks, which was a blog about how to raise your round, negotiate your term sheet, and generally build an early stage venture backed company. And it came out of the idea that most people, wanted to get to a term sheet, but before that needed introductions. And so Nivian Naval literally made a list of angels since the name. It has now grown into really a sprawling platform um, that includes a lot of different activities, which makes it very confusing, but interesting at the same time. So there's there's three main pieces that make up AngelList. There's the fundraising platform, which is probably the most noted. There's the talent platform, which is quickly becoming bigger in size and and more important to many companies who've already raised money. Mm-hmm. And then there's the social graph that connects the two. And so when you look at the business, um, there's it's kind of a three-headed beast. Mm-hmm. I spend most of my time um, on the fundraising side of things, uh, running maiden lane, closing investments, and, and building a portfolio. Most companies, in terms of both traffic, users, and everything, spend their time on the talent side, which is it's sort of a marketplace for job posters and job seekers. Um, they're doing a really, really good thing where they're making, you know, a lot of the data that other sites, you know, gloss over salary and equity and things like that. They're making that way more transparent. And it's, it's more of like a tender like interface and it's a fun, fun way to match and and find new opportunity. Um, and then the, the graph between the two is, is really just like any social graph out there. People have profiles both on the company and user side, and then that allows 
AngelList, which is ultimately just a really big matching platform, you know, match either capital to opportunity or um, job seekers to job posters. Right. And so if I'm a founder and I'm going to be raising money, talking about the fundraising piece specifically now, I get my profile up on AngelList. You've done some blogging and writing about how to put an optimal profile up there. You are now in a network full of angels and investors so that you might be able to actually raise your round or a large chunk of your round. Correct. I, I think whatever you put out into the AngelList ether, is, you should really think of it in terms of, you know, what am I looking for and who or what could I match with uh, that could help me achieve my goal. And the main two goals around AngelList are naturally, you know, either finding or hiring um, for jobs or for fundraising. If you're an investor, finding investments or if you're a startup founder, you know, finding investors and raising capital. So, um, yeah, and that a lot of my posts focus on that to get people to zoom out because AngelList has sort of over time built layer upon layer and expanded over time. And it, it can be confusing when you come in at any one entry point. And so if you zoom out and look at it as this massive matching engine, I think a lot of it makes a lot more sense. I'm guessing this is four or five years old now. What kind of throughput are you seeing on this platform in terms of companies getting funded? Yeah, AngelList will do a, a big, you know, recap of 2015, but I would expect the high level numbers around fundraising to be, you know, in the 200s uh, of millions of dollars, and that's that's money that's that's gone on AngelList wires, so from investors straight onto startup cap tables. In terms of job stuff, I mean, they're in thousands and thousands of companies, you know, on a yeah. on a weekly basis that are active, and th- and even more candidates. Actually, it's about several times bigger on the candidate side um, and growing exponentially. So on both fronts, I think, you know, they're basically building two marketplaces around this graph and, and, and they seem to be, you know, growing really nicely. And I think, you know, much of the work that we talk about and are focused on, I think in the next 12 and 24 months is, is, is actually more about quality. Um, and, and I think that's been a bit, a big bit of feedback from folks is, you know, on the job side, higher quality companies and candidates, um, and then on the fundraising side, more focus, a little bit more curation, and, and you'll see a lot of features dedicated to that in, in the near term. This has become an incredible resource, giving people this feedback right now. I mean, I love it for a lot of reasons. One is just the transparency it brings to the ecosystem. I mean, before AngelList, someone was raising money and they'd meet somebody and they, they'd come talk to me and say, hey, I met this person. Uh, they said they're interested in investing in my company. I'm like, well, who are they? I say, well, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know who it is. I say, okay, you know, did you ask them if they uh, invest? They've invested in other companies. Uh, no, I didn't ask them that. Um, well, okay, that was your one opportunity. <laughs> now with AngelList, you go on there and you've met someone for the first time. You're raising money. You're a founder. You can look them up. They have a bio. They have their portfolio in there. You can then have a, a, an opportunity to reach out to some of the entrepreneurs that they've backed. So it's just. It's opened this whole thing up, especially on the East Coast, where it was much more opaque in past years. So just for that reason alone, I love it. I I share it with my students, you know, and then some of the young entrepreneurs that are raising money. So you have this groundwork laid. And then on top of it, you know, is coming this new thing called syndicates. It's been around, I don't know, for a year or two now. And you're right in the middle of all that. Tell everyone what is a syndicate, how it works. So syndicates launched in September of 2013. So it is still relatively new. 2014 was kind of the first full year of operation. Uh, we raised Maiden Lane 
really starting on September 27th, uh, 2013. It took us about seven months to close the fund. Um, and the fund is purely dedicated to syndicates. So what is syndicates? Syndicates is basically, I mean, at a super high level, it's, it's really the unbundling of venture capital. Uh, it does a couple of things or it productizes a couple of things that I, I think are going to change the game. So it makes spinning up um, a fund as simple as buying you know, an online plane ticket, right? Uh, in a matter of clicks, um, you can set up a vehicle, invest with, um, behind, or lead around uh, in a company. And I think that that level of flexibility is sometimes confusing because we've been for the last 60 years uh, watching one kind of mode operating for for investing, which is generally, you know, two dudes go out and raise a fund. They, you know, then start investing it. And you're either an investor in that fund, which is called a limited partner, or you're a portfolio company of that fund, you know, which is a founder and CEO. What this allows people to do is say, Anyone who's an accredited investor can be a limited partner. So it opens the, the range of possibilities of becoming an investor in funds to a much, much, much bigger pool. And then it allows the range of people who can act as a partner, so the lead on the deal, to a much, much bigger pool. The, the impacts of that are really actually far-reaching, mainly because venture has been fairly closed in its um, trust network. Not for nefarious reasons, right? If you think about what venture ultimately is, it's really, really uh, a community of trust, right? Um, when, a, when an LP invests in a fund, they're, they're handing over money for 10 years, frankly, with very little recourse. Uh, that takes an incredible amount of trust. And then even on the, the partner side, the people investing in startups, they're also handing over, albeit smaller amounts of money, but still very, you know, scheme of things, large amounts of money, again, with very little recourse. They're not majority owners, Maybe in some cases they have a board seat. Oftentimes in early stage, they don't. Right. Um, and so this, this network is closed, not completely to be self-serving, but mainly because there needs to be a high level of trust. That served, I think, the world for a long time. But now that the world's a lot flatter, there's a lot more startups. What you're starting to see is the number of startups has increased exponentially. And then syndicates basically allows the number of funds to increase exponentially as well. And um I don't even know if we're in, you know, through the first inning yet of, of right. what this means, what this means for right. venture. But, but that's what it is at a very basic right. level. What you're saying is that somebody who has good access to great entrepreneurs can create a syndicate where all the paperwork and back end stuff is taken care of by the syndicate product on AngelList, and then people that they know or even that they don't know can find their syndicate on this marketplace and back them and become like LPs to these syndicates. Is that, am I getting it right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It allows new communities to be formed, to invest together. It allows people to broaden their portfolio and be a lead on, you know, a smaller number of deals, but then also be passive on a larger number. Um, so it allows new strategies. It's, it's a set of building blocks on top of which and with which you can, you can create a new strategy that before was really, really difficult to do because when you raise a traditional offline fund, you're fairly locked in you know, to one approach and strategy. And that might mean geographic, that might mean stage, um, whatever kind of approach you're taking, you're fairly locked into it. With this, because the concept of raising a fund um, has been reduced to a set of clicks, there's a lot more adaptability, which if you follow the venture market for the last five to 10 years, it's, it's probably been the most <laughs> underreported 
mm-hmm. and at the same time over talked about thing, right? Um, everyone's talking about, oh, there's this massive bubble, right? It's like, right. yeah, there's a massive bubble if you're investing in, you know, really, really high momentum later stage companies. But if you talk to founders, there's a huge opportunity, for example, at Series B, right? But right. did anyone go out and raise a fund dedicated just to Series B? No, LPs don't really think of the world like that. That opportunity might be temporary. Well, with a syndicate, you could actually build a syndicate. Like, All I'm going to do is go after Series B opportunities for the next year. Let's spin that up and run that. And then look, if that market ends up becoming more efficient and less interesting, then we're going to stop. And there's that's okay, right? Because right. you're not locked into the vehicle for such a long period of time. So that's what syndicates ultimately is. And the, the most exciting part about it is we don't yet exactly know you know, how it's going to be used to generate outsized returns yet. And, th- and that's sort of where Maiden Lane and CSC Upshot and the individuals who back syndicates like yours, I think, are, are really at the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. We're out there learning by doing and finding, you know, where the opportunity is that's been created by this new platform. And it's, it's, it's a really exciting, it's in a really exciting time. Look, I think it's clear that we're in the very early innings, as you say, we don't know where this is going to end up. Whatever it is, it feels pretty big. I'm still figuring out myself, and I have a syndicate. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm basing a lot of it on trust of you and Naval and others. Enter the picture here with Maiden Lane, this new vehicle that's two, three years old. Tell us about the mission of Maiden Lane. Yeah, so Maiden Lane, we closed it in April of 2014. Like I said, started raising it almost immediately after the public launch of syndicates. And the concept was, well, look, there's clearly going to be a lot of support from accredited individuals on the platform. And to date, by the way, the syndicate story, you know, the vast majority of the flow on both sides has been driven by individuals, not institutions, which I think for all of the terrible stories you read about the United States of America, it's really inspiring to see that a relatively small group of people, right, in the low thousands are responsible for putting almost close to 150, approaching $200 million into startups. They're responsible for leading several hundred investments. Um, that was not the traditional institutional LPs that back you know, funds like Sequoia and Benchmark and others. It was not the traditional general partners that run those funds, right? Mm. These are people with access, with judgment uh, on both sides who came together to invest. And, and I think that's an incredibly important thing to not forget when we started Maiden Lane, we also said we think there's a place alongside those folks uh, for institutional capital because the nature of institutional versus individual capital, you know, there's pros and cons to each, right? Individual capital can move very quickly. It can develop trust faster. It can just generally be more nimble. But the con is that it doesn't necessarily have the sort of deep pockets and lasting power of institutional capital, which is designed to be deployed over several years sit in companies for 10 plus years, right? Right. Um, And really be a long-term security holder. And so any of the marketplaces, not just Angelus, when you look at them as they develop, they almost always start with individuals. Look at Lending Club, for example, right? Right. And then over time, as it scales, instead of being, you know, 90% individual, 10 institutional, it starts to find a new equilibrium. I don't know where Angelus will end up. Um, My guess is in the next couple of years, it'll be closer to 50-50. Um, and I don't know even, I can't say what the right sort of balance is, but I can say that a mix of individual and institutional capital is incredibly exciting. A, because it's diverse, B, because it creates an actual marketplace and C, because it gives more founders 
more opportunity to raise money. And if you believe that startups are generally a vehicle for good, there's more good being done. That's what, what's so exciting about this. So Maiden Lane started, we wanted to be the first institutional fund. We raised it, started deploying it. And honestly, when we started Maiden Lane, we thought, okay, we'll try this syndicates thing out in a $25 million fund. Our expectation is, you know, maybe it's half the fund. We'll do the other half offline and, you know, kind of wait for syndicates to scale. Um, and over the last two years, you know, syndicates has, has probably grown way more quickly than we ever could have imagined um, and way more broadly than we ever could have imagined. Um, we're looking at stuff across the, across the world, not just in the United States. We're looking at a variety of stages. We thought we'd mainly be looking at really just seed um, opportunities, but we've seen later stage pro rata opportunities in some big name companies. We've seen secondary opportunities from founders who you know want a little bit of liquidity. We've seen early stage. We've seen everything in between. To your earlier point about transparency, it's a it's a little bit unsurprising in retrospect because what's happening? Angelist is bringing you know a platform that can be used. It doesn't care what stage it is, in a transparent way to 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 make a transaction. And and so the market's bringing in all sorts of interesting opportunities. Wow. Wow. And so over the last couple of years, we've been honing that to basically say, okay how do we rationalize an actual business model, right? It's, it's one thing to sit on the New York Stock Exchange and see all this equity being tossed around, but it's another thing to say, here's our strategy. And so with Maiden Lane 1, the main goal has been to say, let's learn by doing, understand you know, what kind of a strategy can be built at the early stage, who we want to work with, mm-hmm. and, and, and how it should be executed. And so that's what I've been working on for the last 18, 20 months. So you guys are on the vanguard of seeding this syndicate ecosystem. What's going to happen with syndicates? I know there's another partner that's been brought in, a Chinese group, Upshot VC, that you guys are working with. How do you see this evolving? Yeah, so the the platform has been capital constrained really since the beginning, which uh, is, is natural in most marketplaces. And so... As you mentioned, CSC Upshot um, announced a fund earlier uh, this fall, and it's a really, really exciting development because it was fine and good for Maiden Lane to get started. We raised a $25 million fund, Um, but the opportunity is way bigger than any one fund can accommodate, right? So over time, you should expect to see several different Maiden Lanes on AngelList. So the second um, fund to launch was CSC Upshot. CSC is an institutional wealth management firm based out of China. The The metaphor I tell people is, you know, think of them as sort of like a black rock. Um, the founder is an incredibly ambitious, talented individual um, who wants to start to expand globally. They are LPs and funds here in the United States. Um, and then Upshot is their first move into the U.S. venture market. Um, and, it's, and it's an exciting and, and really progressive approach and, and so they raised a $400 million fund to sit on top of AngelList and, and do a lot of what Maiden Lane does. Just given the difference in sizes, you can see that their strategy is going to be directionally different as well, right? They are a broader fund because they have more to invest. They look at a broader range of stages, right? right. Um, because, again, they have more to invest and more to return. And they are, are really going big uh, into, into the U.S. venture market and, and building their strategy. And, and we're really, really excited to have them on the platform because Maiden Lane just could never and will never carry, um, carry the platform on its back. And it's important to realize Maiden Lane and Angelist are oftentimes you know, 
smashed together, but we're, we're, we're very separate. Uh, we're arm's length. Um, the fund is not, you know, legally deeply associated with AngelList in any way. We choose a strategy, which is to use syndicates. Uh, we choose to share our economics with syndicate leads, but we're not bound by that contractually. Um, and, you know, and, and neither is CSC Upshot, right? right. And so uh, these funds, by choosing this strategy, um, you know, I, I think are pioneering, you know, what could be the next chapter of venture. And, and what's really exciting now is I think now that there's more capital on the platform, what it's done is for a lot of people, it said the capital question is off the table, right? And so when it was just made in a $25 million fund, it was like, okay, will this, will this, you know, ship fly? And, and with 425 million, and, you know, there will be additional maiden lane funds raised in the future, and there will be additional, I guess, competitors or peers like ourselves also raised. You, you can see a path to there being, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars growing to billions of dollars available to be deployed um, in and around AngelList. And that's crazy to say out loud. Now, no one's talking about deploying this very quickly and, you know, in one shot or uh, yeah, you even in one company. System, right. Exactly. Yeah. And so... I think the signal it, it can and should send is like there is plenty of capital on standby to be deployed in, in good opportunities. And it's exciting that that, that question yeah. off the table. I yeah. mean, what this could mean, I'm just thinking out loud here, is if you if you think about it on that kind of scale, this could sort of unleash a lot of talented folks who just haven't had access to capital. They have a great access to, to entrepreneurs. And you could imagine there being a lot of you know new faces you know, in this brave new world of, of what venture is becoming in the coming years. So that's, that's very exciting. It is very exciting. It's very exciting for, ironically, it's very exciting for geographies outside Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley has plenty of capital and will never be lacking capital as far as I can tell. But it is the case that many great ecosystems not only lack capital, but in some cases have predatory capital. And I think it's those folks who should be most concerned because the boogeyman that is the internet, which is really a thinly veiled way of saying transparency is knocking at their door. And now that the capital question is off the table, and if we can put a forward operating partner in that geography, New York is a well-developed ecosystem, but imagine, you know, two steps below New York, right? Um, and, and what it would be like to have a qualified angel investor able to deploy real capital in that ecosystem with modern terms, founder friendly sort of not just terms, but advice and support. I think that's where you start to see, and I, I try not to think about it too much, but really an incalculable potential impact, right? Mm. Because what if the next massive company came from some team working in some place that we scoff at today? But now that capital is available to be deployed there, why does it have to be the case that they have to be in New York or Silicon Valley or Boston right. or Austin or Seattle? Why, why couldn't it be in Minnesota, right? Uh-huh. Like there's nothing really preventing that from happening. And I think that's, that's really exciting um, right. because the internet is not just located in the places that produce the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. The internet is pervasive. So I think logic would follow that you're going to see opportunities start to spread out a little bit more. And now that capital is going to follow it. Right. I'm just kind of catching up to you. It's not just the emergence of talented investors. You're empowering those investors in those underserved ecosystems to 
fund really talented entrepreneurs that otherwise would not have had a chance to raise money. And that that's super exciting. I'm finally, I'm finally catching up to you, my friend. Thank you. You know, Naval, he was talking about un- the unbundling of venture capital before anyone was in many respects. You know, when he was first talking about it, I'll be very frank, it sounded like gibberish. I didn't get it. And he was saying, you know, it's the unbundling of access, advice, and money. And he was saying, the, on the advice side, you have a lot of the accelerators stepping into that domain. The money or capital side is now kind of being filled in by AngelList. But there's that access thing. There are always people who are, for whatever reason, able to attract great entrepreneurs, great founders, etc. in every ecosystem. So this is the unbundling that he was talking about years ago. So I, I got to give Naval a, a shout out. for 100%. It's really amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Extraordinary. But, you know, you mentioned other ecosystems and, you know, New York is a developed one, but I'll say, I'll say it. New York only has a couple of syndicates. It's still very undeveloped. That is a a ripe area for new managers to emerge and try their luck on this platform. Wouldn't you say? Uh, Yes. I mean, New York, New York is a massive opportunity for syndicates. What you've seen in New York is a lot of the people who you'd expect naturally to be a syndicate. uh, Many of them have funds. And I think that's part of a reality in New York where there is a lot of wealth, mainly probably earned in other industries outside of tech. Um, And so people were able to raise what hopefully the next generation of those folks will just use syndicates, uh, but they're able to raise funds. I think the real opportunity in New York is for a group of people who are building companies that are not necessarily right smack in the middle of New York's powerhouse, right? So New York is world-class at content, for example, right? It's very, very, very good at e-commerce. It's very, very good at like brand building, um, you know, whether it's Warby and other things like that, right? Um, But you're starting to see emergent groups form, whether it's, you know, MongoDB, right? Like who's going to build the next Mongo? Um, I think that's the best spot for a syndicate to hang out in because, the venture community there, while developed, you know, I don't think is the very best at enterprise investing, for example. And the number of enterprise investors that could invest at the early stage are probably fewer relative to the consumer ones. And so you could see a, a great opportunity for, for a syndicate to stand up there. Um, any emergent area, right, uh, where there's signs of success, where there's technical you know, talent and support for that company, and just an inspired group of people is, is where syndicates can and should flourish. And, um, and it's, that's why it's so exciting, um, because it can, it can move a little bit faster than traditional funds. And it can invest really through a strategy of conviction, as opposed to, you know, most funds are, are really making their decisions through consensus, right? And I think when you zoom out, this is sort of like the broader disruption that's starting to happen, whether Angelus wins it through syndicates, which I hope they do, but it's, it's really up for grabs. You know, there's a battle right now, both a battle for hearts and minds and for profits and for brand to to figure out how should venture capital be deployed, right? I think that that's at the very, very end of the day, that's really what we're talking about here on this podcast. That's what we're talking about through syndicates is people questioning, like, does the consensus-based model carry the day? You know, there's evidence that there's another approach that can at least perform as well, but in many cases outperform consensus-based investing. And that's when an individual has an insane amount of conviction in some combination of product, team, and space, right? 
and you have enough trust with them to let them pursue that conviction and, and take a bet. Right. Right. And that's, that's something that people like Chris Saka, um, have in some ways popularized through his incredible success, but also just his presence and persona and saying, you know, look, I, I basically took every playbook that anyone on Sand Hill Road, Road had ever written, and I, I, I kind of tore it up and and lit it up and and then went my own way, right? And right. he went early stage, he went late stage, he bought every secondary share. Of Twitter. You know, to, <laughs> of Twitter, right? Like, right? He basically did everything that every stodgy VC would, would sort of scoff at, but it, it ended up, when you look at the, the numbers, you're like, holy crap, like, he just outperformed everyone. So there's signs like that, then there's signs with what Paul's done at Y Combinator um, and the Techstars team has done where you say, wow, okay, whoa, you know, these guys basically bring everyone into a space. They work with them really hands-on for a period of time. They build a relationships upstream with capital. They choose companies at various stages, blah, blah, blah. Like that's also a different way of making a decision. And, you know, I can't speak city by city how Techstars has performed, but clearly Y Combinator has something special going on right. and is continuing to evolve that as they raise more money and start to do new things. Right. So it's like, there's these other ways to to deploy capital, and I think the next chapter of venture is really going to focus on that, which is besides consensus, what else works? And what I'm working on specifically with Main Lane is where else does institutional capital belong, right? Um, and I think that's a, a question that's on a lot of people's minds. No, it, it is a fascinating area. Let me ask you this. How do VCs behave towards you guys, towards the syndicate market? I, I know some have embraced it. Brad Feld has a, a foundry group syndicate on AngelList, but I think some have some are ignore it or are critical of it behind closed doors. What what has your experience been? My experience is exactly that. There's a spectrum. I think Brad Feld and the Foundry Group deserve massive credit for being one of the earliest adopters to say, hey, here's this new thing. We're gonna learn by doing. We have no idea where this will take us, but we also have can't just sit here and blog about it um, and 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 see the future. So we're going to learn by doing. Um, and so they have led dozens of syndicates and used it to basically, I think, to better understand how they can relate their fund and their practice to the seed market. And hats off to them. Mm-hmm. We've backed them a couple of times um, just to kind of show you what the future looks like. Maiden Lane is a fund backing another fund. Right. A lot of people scratch their head. It's sad. It's like, look, there's an interesting opportunity. We like the work that they're doing. We like this founder. And so we invest. We're trying to set aside this concept that, you know, collaboration can only happen in one way, right? Um, at the end of the day, it's about being invested in the best companies. I think on the other end of the spectrum, you have people like Mark Suster, who I can't figure why other than just being incredibly defensive, mm-hmm. you know, in his review of 2015 is, is, you know, said, you know, this concept of syndicates is fraudulent. He expects the SEC to break down the doors. He's talking to LPs and and really basically fear mongering, which is interesting because I see him for some zero of total, like zero times on AngelList hanging out. Um, I guess maybe he's lurking and just looking at stuff. But I mean, I work out of the AngelList office multiple days a week. His presence is like non-existent. And so I, I don't know how he could really understand what's going on. And then he throws around these stats of like, you know, but this shoddy, shoddily done report talking about, you know, crowdfunding and bundling all together. And you're like, you know, what Angelist is doing is not crowdfunding, right? Um, it's just factually not. Mm-hmm. Crowdfunding isn't even legal yet. The SEC just released its letter. It promises to like start that, you know, several months forward. Angelist will not, in my opinion, 
play material in that space. I see no future where dentists in Ohio or Kansas City, where I'm from, should be investing in startups. I don't think that makes any sense at all. And and so this fraud, I, I you know, it's like let's talk specifically about what that means. Um, the one example he may be referring to is there are some crowdfunding sites that are very aggressively marketing companies that aren't even based in the United States. And so maybe he's referring to that. But when you look at the way he positioned it, it's very clear. And he's behind closed doors. Talk to LPs about this. It's very clear that he is just put off and scared by syndicates. And so, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That's uh, kind of that's uh, kind of the range of emotion that we I see, see. Right. <laughs> from our Yeah. I know historically he's written about uh the problem with uh, party deals. He's written uh, eloquently about situations where, you know, you have a party deal and things go wrong. There's no board, there's no lead who steps in and does the dirty work that no one wants to do. So I think he he's probably got a lot of scars on his back and is looking at this through that lens. I'm I'm guessing. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? The reality is the the seed market generally can really be referred to as the chaos market because what's really going on is you don't have a real capital partner, which is what Mark is proposing by not having a party round is that you have a capital partner. The reason his argument is so self-serving, even though he says it isn't, is that Mm. if he is the capital partner, he has the option to invest or not and basically controls the future of the company in his own hands. And so party rounds, I, I agree with him. They're not great. But at the same time, you can't say they're not great without proposing a solution. And the reality is there is no solution because having a lead creates signaling risk. So that's one big downside to that. And constraining your round to just a couple of folks, while potentially ideal, let's say you said, okay, well, let's get rid of signaling rights. Let's only have seed funds. There aren't that many seed funds out there. And so if you look at a founder and say, all right, Mr. Founder, go just, you know, only have a couple seed funds. That's the very best way to raise your seed round. It's like, that's fine and good. But founders want to raise money and get back to work. I don't think most of them necessarily deeply care. They're, they're just trying to get a few million dollars to run this experiment and to sit back and kind of quarterback around that and be like, this is how you should do it. And, and to do that in a self-serving way just seems disingenuous to me. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's perfect for a lot of people who can have the perfectly constructed seed round. But most people don't get that. And that's the reality of the seed market it is a chaotic, messy, kind of just nutty place. And I've never seen a perfect round there. It's kind of mm-hmm. beside the point, though. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No, this is definitely an evolution. Disruption is a strong word. Time will tell, but it's happening. The bus has left the station. As you said, it's still the early innings and time is going to tell. How about we... Uh, we get you on the show sometime next year and we, we uh, see how, how things are going. What do you think? That would be great. I'd love to do that. Okay, my friend. Show you around, give you a taste of business, you know? Hey, everyone. Dave Lerner here. I hope you're liking the Venture Studio podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hello, you can reach us on Twitter at Venture Studio. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as well. Thanks. I appreciate the support as always.